Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is a, a little different. We're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing. So of course we're not in the same room and we're recording over Zoom. So our audio quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to. You might hear cars honking and birds chirping, et cetera. Um, but we are doing the best we can uh, with what we have. So I'm so excited to introduce our guest for today, Faven Fezhazian. She, her pronouns, is a Brooklyn-based actor and model. She arrived in New York City after she landed a coveted position in the NBC Universal Page program at 30 Rockefeller Center. Since then, she made her off-Broadway debut in The Bigot at uh, Theater at St. Clement's. I hope I said that right. Her film credits include Little Faith in Maya and Her Lover. Television credits include The Blacklist and Comedy Central. Faven has also appeared in a number of television commercials and print ads for brands such as Dunkin' Donuts, Shea Moisturize, uh, mo excuse me, Shea Moisture, Cadillac, and Olay. Currently, she is writing her first feature film and is utilizing her home studio equipment to work on new projects virtually. Hi, Faven. Welcome. Hey, Dubs. Thank you. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. This is so exciting. I know, because we, we were scheduled to do this in March, and then the pandemic was like, I don't think so. Yeah, and that's like, I was looking forward to it so much, and then things just got dire. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I was too, and then I just, it just, and then, yeah, we just couldn't do it. I, mm -hmm. I, got, I remember that week so clearly, because it was, everyone, like, there was nothing, like, mandated yet, but, like, my person, like, my work office was like, don't go into the office anymore, and then it started to feel right. really real. Mm -hmm. Bobby, Bobby was just like, we'll do it if you want. I was like, I want, but also I don't want because I'm scared. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a very, very smart choice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I normally ask guests to bring um, something that reminds them of pride. And I loved your, your response. Which <laughs> <laughs> so instead of like showing, showing you, you just said, well, do you want to say what you said? Cause it was hilarious. <laughs> yes. Dobbs was like, David. <laughs> Do you have anything that reminds you of pride or gives you pride? And I said, I'm a minimalist, so I don't have an object, but all I have are my gay thoughts. Yes. <laughs> Especially during self-isolation. Just thoughts. Yeah. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I love that gay thoughts are the best thoughts. Yes. <laughs> so are you are you, so you're isolating alone you don't have roommates or a partner or anything I mean with you. I do have housemates okay. um we have a it's a the third floor of a Brooklyn brownstone um but one of them is gone down south and the other one has vampire hours so mm. like so it is kind of like your yeah alone -ish. which is great yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I have 
I have two roommates. One left to um, stay with her girlfriend and the other one um, is like a buddy. So it's been fun. I mean, oh, yay. quote unquote fun. Like, you know, all things considered. <laughs> Indeed. Um, all right. So we all have multiple coming out stories. And so we would be honored and thrilled and tickled if you shared one with us of yours. <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, it was so fun doing it. Thank you for coming out. Um, an exercise. Um, but a fun one nonetheless. Uh, yeah, my coming out story, I feel like there's tears to it. Okay. Um, so first, I was late teens and maybe 20 when I was first like flirtatious with women. And so I just thought I was fun and cool and, you know, everyone wants to be that girl who's cool with the guys too. So if the guys are like talking about a pretty girl, I'm like, yeah, she's super cute. You know, I'm just thinking I'm like the homie and then like the fun one. Um, (laughs) And then even when I was dating a guy, um, same thing. Um, We would talk about cute girls and stuff. And then I would be the one that was, that'd be like, you know, I've never like, never experimented but if you if you're down I didn't know that was coming from a gay place Mm. (laughs) I thought it was coming from a cool girlfriend place um so that that's what happened so I'd go out with friends um I would end up in a typical bar setting um and then maybe like have a drunk makeout Mm. I wasn't I wasn't that drunk um and then I was like I would talk to my friends, my, my, the, the women who would identify as straight, right? Who would have no, no gay thoughts whatsoever. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, it's just like a makeout. Like everyone does it, right? Like girls just having fun. They're like, no, no, like not all, not all girls make out with other girls. Like it's not like the movies. I was like, really? It's not, oh, okay. So it was like a weird battle with myself in the beginning. Um, and then I think everything turned when I actually developed feelings for a woman. Um, then I was like, oh, so it's not just fun, flirty, and or drunken makeouts. I'm like, oh, this heart is capable of doing things. Um, and that's, yeah, so that's when everything turned. Um, then I started dating. And then so it, it went in buckets as far as coming out. So I tell like my close friends. I, I was super fortunate because... I was already an adult when this happened, Mm -hmm. so I didn't have to deal with acceptance with the family. Oh, I did later, trust me. But like, you know what I mean? Like I Mm -hmm. I had my own apartment, I was working, like no one could kick me out. I didn't have to deal with any of those struggles. So I'm like, all I can keep the secret and everything is normal, or I can go ahead and bite the bullet and start telling people. So I would tell my, my cohort in New York City, which, so many people are queer anyway. This is like the hub. So mm-hmm. I would tell them, everyone's cool with it. Then um, tell my siblings, most of my millennial people are cool with it. Um, and then um, sent an email to my parents. So this email, my parents are very corporate people. So I was like, how can I get this information out? Mm in the most concise way so if I called I don't know the reaction so there's a possibility that they would hang up Mm -hmm. so so, uh, I didn't want to do that if I went there to the house 
it's in the suburbs, I'd be trapped in the house. And I got rid of my car a long time ago. I'd, I'd be like, hey, mom, guess what? I date women now. And if it went badly, I'd be like, who's going to bring me to the train station? Right. <laughs> so, so the best thing I could think of was an email. And right. the subject line was uh, Faven Life Update, smiley face. And the body was, hey, guys, um, if, if you were wondering, oh, how did I say it? I should, I should have, I think I deleted it because things that make me uncomfortable, I delete, like, messages mm. as well. But I said, <laughs> guys, if you're, if you're wondering why I haven't dated any guys since Philip, he's my friend, I can say his name, since Philip, uh, it's because I've been dating women instead. If you have any questions, you know where to find me. Bye, Faven. <laughs> That's what I said. That's what I sent. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Mind you, I had to go to therapy for several weeks to get good with the idea of even telling my parents. And the only reason why it bothered me is because it really, a secret really eats away at you. Mm -hmm. So if someone, especially someone you're not sure if they're going to take it well and they're really close to you, like if, if you are omitting, oh, it's just as bad as like, like stealing or like just the guilt. Like if, if I got a phone call from my, my mom or my dad and they'd be like, what are you doing? If I'm out with a woman, if we're frolicking, if we're getting iced coffees, I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just downtown. I'm shopping. I'm just lying. And it just did not feel good. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm a grown up. Um, so yeah, so that was the final frontier telling the parents and it's, 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 still a journey, but I'm mm. all and I'm fine and it's great. Um, thanks for sharing. Uh, how long ago was the email? Oh, I mean, maybe six years, five, five, six years. Yeah. They were 31 now. And it was definitely 20s, early mid twenties, mid twenties. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Did they respond? Did they respond? Yes. My father responded with my mother CC'd. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's very bizarre. Um, and what the response was uh, kind of like, it read like a press release. Mm. We, it was a recap of my childhood. We did very, did our best with you, gave you all, all the good opportunities. My father's an African man, so I have bad accent, but anyway. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so he gave all the, the best opportunities. You raised all your kids the same way, blah, blah, blah. And then he segued into now, as an adult, we all make our own decisions, choices, cringe. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, so, like, it's up to you. Um, they, they said, our love for you will not change. But in the same sentence, it said, um, although we may not agree with your choices oh double cringe yeah so yeah that was very confusing um so again i'm like i'm so glad i'm a grown-up and i have a support system in new york city because i just cannot ma i feel so terribly for the kids who are stuck in the situation and what what do they do if the parents are like we don't support you so although my feelings are valid and real and everything i went through ups and downs i still I still do that exercise of relativity. Like I'm fortunate in that regard that like, mm -hmm. if they feel some type of way, it doesn't matter. I'm frolicking in Brooklyn and it's fine. So yeah. Yeah. I think 
I want to go back to the, to this, like, like idea of choices. Actually, I want to go back to all these things, but I said choices. So we'll go with that first of like, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially, um, and like, uh, like reading things about people who are like anti-trans people and like talking about like the choices that we're making to like change our bodies and that kind of thing. And it's like, it's, it's like almost like it's not a choice, but it also is a choice. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do I say this? I'm choosing to live authentically. And so there are repercussions with that, but Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm choosing the identities that I hold. And so like there, it's almost like there is like choice in there, but I'm guessing that when people are saying that they're not talking about the choices I'm doing to affirm myself, they're more like you're choosing to be a trans person. Like not really. Yeah. It's very problematic. But I'm like, they would never understand. So not that I am an apologizer or anything. I'm just like, how do you explain something to someone who's so rigid? And I guess this, this conversation can expand to even what's going on in the world now. It's just like, there's two sides of a fence. How do you get one side to see the other side? It's just, that was just, it's it's a forever conundrum. I, I don't, I don't know. So we just, you have to deal with yourself. Like I said, my piece, I'm fine. I will I'll figure my stuff out, my identity. Flip flop sometimes. Like I would, I would joke. Um, I'd be like, yeah, like I'm, I'm lesbian plus Jason Momoa. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I don't, <laughs> like Jason can get it. Like, I, so I don't know. I just, it is, is what it is. It's a journey. And then it's, it's, I also let go of the feeling that I need to, update people along the way mm-hmm. because that's more stress too because mm-hmm. it's like finally I did my whole coming out parade and then I'm like well wait if if I date if I date a trans man am I still a lesbian you know what mm-hmm. I mean and then I don't like I just don't like so I have things to to think about on my own I don't have enough time to teach ignorant people about things so I'm just like you know what as long as you're true to you it just it just is what it is Mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's so important to keep that openness because as we as we are becoming as like I feel like society is becoming more accepting of different identities and it you know it opens us up and like I feel like those those um those labels of like lesbian or like very specific identities can keep people in, in a place where maybe they don't feel that they should be. And also, mm-hmm. cause I actually, with my, one of my exes, she, she was very, she was newly out when we like, wasn't out when we started dating. And then I helped her with that process. And she was like, but if you're not a woman and I'm a woman, but I feel like I'm a lesbian, can I do that? And I was like, you can do whatever you want because it's your identity. (laughs) Like don't base it off of me. But I think that it's really, it's challenging because even when we're talking about identities outside the binary, myself included, I was, we were all socialized to think in this very like rigid way. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to break out of that. Um, For sure. Don't put yourself in boxes. Everyone else is already going to put us in boxes. Yeah. You might as well just not do it to yourself. Yeah. So you said something too that I wanted to lift up, which was um, how do you how do you like bridge the the gap with people who are ignorant and don't want to um, like two sides of the fence, um, and like getting people to understand and 
right before you called in, I was texting with our mutual friend, Carmen Labou. Carmen! Yeah. And we were talking about this exact same thing of like, how do we get through to people to like, how, why is it so hard for people to like help people who are oppressed? Like, why is that so hard? Like what is going on? And so we were, we were like brainstorming, how do we do this? Like, what does this transformative justice look like? Mm-hmm. And we both were like, art and storytelling is like a great way to start to For build sure. those, yeah. those relationships. Yes. That's the only way. Um, how to get through to the other side. So I have a perspective in which I, unfortunately, I found myself in situations with people who are ignorant because I'm not read as gay out and mm. about in my life. So um, people might say homophobic things, assuming I'm straight, therefore assuming I'm cool with it, which is not cool because my straight friends aren't homophobic either, would not be cool with it. But um, mm. I'm able to check people in real time and I have the personality to do so. I do not suggest everyone go out checking people if you are not bold and if it's not safe to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a disclaimer. Um, also, internet blocking is a very powerful tool. I remember I posted um, a pride video on my personal Facebook page and the husband of an older cousin of mine um, wrote something like haterish, like in all caps, like, ew, absolutely not, blah, blah, blah. So I just deleted the comment and blocked him. Because some people you want to, people, if you see there's an opening mm-hmm. and it will learn and to grow, those are the people you should work on. Yeah. But like, people who are harmful and seemingly dangerous, like, it's just, I don't, I don't know if I have the capacity to like transform a neo-Nazi, you know? So I just right. think it's movements and people coming together, <clears throat> creating the works, like you said, uh, people complain that TV is, is too gay now, but I'm just like, it's, we're, it's representative of the world. Like there's gay people everywhere. So that's the only, ignorance isn't always hateful. It's just, they, it's literally, they just don't know what it is. You mm-hmm. have to show them what it is. You have to teach them what it is. If your son is friends with a gay kid, if your son is not gay or if your son is not interested in, in the gay kid, then he's, that's not going to be his boyfriend the next day automatically. Like, I don't understand why people don't get that. That's not how attraction works. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's just more stories need to be shown. Um, I think they're getting more and more accurate now because in the past, yeah. it was just tropes that were not accurate whatsoever. It was just kind of embarrassing. Like, uh, it, it just... Now, now it's accurate. Now you can, you can be all types of gay. You can be all types of trans. You can be all types of whatever your identity is. And creators are capturing that because the creators themselves are diverse now. So that is the, that is the medium. You and Carmen are correct. That is the medium that people um, will most likely be able to change from because, you know, especially in this country, all we do is we're glued to the TV or glued to the computer. Mhm. Yeah. Uh, do you do you really think like are creators more? I mean, I feel like creators are diverse, like not in like the main, like yes, a little bit in the mainstream, but I still feel like there's 
there could be so I guess my real question is like or statement is I feel like there could be so much more of like I don't know if I'm just biased because I tend to like follow and support the diverse creators (laughs) so yes obviously there's so much work to be done um but from the cross-section of things that I watch and I consume Mm -hmm. I personally probably because I'm an actor I I I look at the end credits on things Mm -hmm. oh wow a woman did that oh like that, that, yeah, the black director for that, like, oh, oh, I know them. They're they're super gay. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I I think the message is slowly but surely getting out, mm-hmm. and there there is there is change. And the things that I do watch, I'm just like, wow, that's that story resonates with me. Oh yes, she she kissed her first girl. Like that's kind of how mine went. So mm-hmm. I see some authenticity in there right now i'm really happy to hear that i feel like i'm like a very i'm just so skeptical and so i'm happy to hear that that's not necessarily the case i mean my thoughts are not necessarily the case um oh i just lost what i was gonna say so let's go back to um this like drunk makeout that you mentioned in your your story yeah because like i i very clearly remember like wishing with all of my heart that some other girl would like get like some girl would get like super drunk and I would be super drunk and we would just like make out but that literally never <laughs> happened it never happened <laughs> I was like so, why does everyone else get these drunk makeouts and I never got one yeah I've had a couple I, I um there's also a part of it where I wanted it to happen so i I kind of threw my signals out there and one girl I had just asked mm. <laughs> so I mean you do find some people who are one they're just just might be down they're like oh yeah you're hot let's get it popping or some people are also curious like oh I've never made out with a girl like yeah why not it's a fun story um so it's like win-win each person involved has their own reasons for doing it yeah um one story oh i this this one girl this was back uh gosh 20 2012 2013 anyway um i was in new york uh and this this girl she was feminine presenting you wouldn't know she's um gay at all unless she tells you um, which she did. She like told a couple of us, um, and it was still hush hush at the time, which was like pretty crazy. I'm like, wow, people were like scared to. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, so we all went out as a group, and I, knowing that she was gay, kind of like excited me. I was just like, hey, hey, girl, hey. Like I, I was like, I was just like. I didn't know if I if I wanted to be her or if I wanted to be with her type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I um, I I was the flirty one. I was all up in her space essentially. But I didn't realize how problematic I was because we did end up making out. But because I wasn't sure of my identity, I, I can't believe I'm, I'm saying this. I wasn't sure of my identity. I kind of I made her make out with me in the bathroom not Mm. in front of everyone at the bar Mm, mm -hmm. and then I didn't realize till later how messed up that was because if it was a guy I would have totally made out with the guy at the bar 
but I'm like, oh, I'm making out with a girl is taboo. But this is me all working out my sexuality. And you fast forward years later, when I was in a relationship with a woman, so I'm completely out and everything, I DM'd that girl mm. and we went out for drinks and I apologized to her. Oh, that's really nice. I, cause I never forgot about it. I felt, mm-hmm. I felt bad about it for so long. How did she respond to your apology? Honestly, I feel like she didn't even like remember. So mm. it was just all me and I internalized it. And I was like, oh my goodness. She was just like, oh girl, what? Whatever, how's work? And, like she kind of like moved on. I was like, what? I was, I was torturing <laughs> myself, but I, I'm glad I did it and said something because so many of us, I don't know if this is talked about a lot, but a lot of us have problematic things that we do and say when we're working out our sexuality and people oh my gosh. over it. And they just, they're just like, oh, you're out now. But it's like, no. And some people who um, are out and proud now were homophobic to begin with. And mm-hmm. like my, one of my exes told me that story. She was like, yeah, I'm from the South. Like I told this one girl, gay girl on campus, like she's going to hell. I was like, what? Wow. Fast forward to this masculine presenting lesbian. And I was like, you, are you serious? He's like, yeah, felt really bad. So, ugh. Yeah, that's a whole topic in itself, the problematic stuff that we do before we're out and comfortable. Yeah, I mean, that's really real. And, and truthfully, we, I, I don't know that we've done much talking about this. And so I'm glad you brought it up. Is like this internalized homophobia and for some folks, transphobia. Um, the ways that, that that comes out is, is tough and it's tough to like reconcile later. I like almost similar to what you were just saying. Um, there were a few kids in high school that I bullied and like would bully them for being queer or whatever and felt and that was because I was so miserable like it's not an excuse but like I can I now know that that's why I was doing it because I also and I don't think this is unique to me wanted to like cut like make fun of the queer kids so no one would thought so no one would think that I was a queer kid yeah um and I ended up apologizing to each of the people like on Facebook messenger just apologizing to each person and um all of them were like um like, thanks for apologizing. We, you know, we were all kids. One was like, yeah, you were a real asshole. And I was like, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But like, ouch, but also fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I also, I want to go back really quick. And I feel like what I said about wanting people to be really drunk to make out, that felt weird. <laughs> it was always like, consi- it would like, uh, okay, it never happened. But I would also, I just want to name, it would have been consensual. Um, sure. But I just, I know that felt weird to be like wanting someone to get drunk so I can make out with them felt uh like a weird thing to say <laughs> so I wanted to circle back to that. I, I knew what you meant but yes okay. you have to clarify for people who like to reach and this yeah too. and like pull a quote because uh so many so many people are pulling quotes from my podcast um and misquoting me so I just wanted to to clear the air about that mm-hmm. um I think too part of this like internalized transphobia that I think I'm still working through and it feels really hard to talk about it because my day job is teaching people not to be transphobic and like educating folks on LGBTQ identity and inclusion. And yet I still hold these like very tough like ideas about just like being transgender. And one of which is like, um, like I wasn't sure if I could go on testosterone because I don't identify as a trans man. And so it was like, took a lot of like undoing of these like ways that were socialized 
to come to the conclusion that I can actually do whatever I want and identify however I want. And then that's valid. And it's just like, but I know that I've definitely in the past said really problematic things about trans people and queer people in general. And it's tough to sit with. Cause it's, it's like, all, it's all, it's all a learning curve and we're all, yeah. we're all human. We're all human. I'm sure straight people have said horrible things about straight people like as well. I just like, yeah. it's just, when you're not taught that you're allowed to do something, like I tell my friends all the time, I was raised straight. Mm -hmm. I graduated yeah. college, got my first job, and I was immediately husband searching. I would like go on OkCupid at the time. That was the popping app. Just mm -hmm. look for guys, like uh, say my first name with their last name out loud to see if it'll sound good. Like I was just doing what I was indoctrinated to do. Yeah. Um, and then only when I was able to discover like my true interests, I was like, oh, wow, people really out here raising straight babies. Mm -hmm. They really are. Just, it's as if nothing else is allowed, as if nothing else exists. And only after I'm super vocal did my mom even share about this one cousin or this one um, trans guy who showed up at at their mother or grandmother's funeral. And, mm. and my mom said that the aunties were like, oh, that's so inappropriate for them to show up. And then with a girl on their arm, I'm like, are you serious? They can't pay respects to a passing member because of their identities and the rest of you guys are homophobes? Like, that's crazy. So those stories weren't shared in my household. So I felt like I was the only one that existed in this entire lineage of people on both sides, which is just not the case. Just no one talks about it because they're yeah. raising everyone to be straight. So then everyone else who isn't straight is like hiding. And I'm just like, oh, that's crazy. That's just, that's how you have a bunch of people on the down low. Like that's just, that's messed up for the psyche. It really is. Yeah. And similar, like raised, raised as a girl too, for me of like, that was never been my identity, but I did the similar things that you were saying of like, I had boyfriends in high school. Like I played the part of like what I thought my family expected of me and what society expected of me. And it was so miserable. Like you, um, you, you mentioned in your story, this like idea of omitting, like omitting or the tr like parts of the truth or lying and that's just resonated so much with me because that's my whole the first 20 years of my life. I was lying every time I said anything that had to do with identity. And it was so hard. It was right. really hard. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to um, like using art as a way to connect with people. So um, Carmen um, wrote a play called Will You Hold My Hair Back? Yes. And you were the, the star in this is what I've been told? I mean, the it, was, it was an ensemble, stars? definitely an okay. ensemble. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. It was an ensemble. It was an ensemble. I mean, because I would never say I'm the star. I mean, if I, I saw the cast list, I'm the only one who has like this many credits, like <laughs> barely any, and everyone else is like Broadway stars. So even if my part was rather large, I'm just like, no, it was an ensemble. It was an ensemble cast. So maybe I made up the word star and maybe Carmen said you had the lead and I was saying it's the same. <laughs> is that also, maybe I misread their text. <laughs> I mean, it was, I guess it was the lead. It was the lead. Yeah. Um, I'm going to check well, my because, So it was a, 
the story was about a lesbian couple and their parents. And then um, the other characters, oh, there was a therapist and um, reporters. So yeah, so I was one of the pair in the lesbian couple. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so great and light and um, I think at some parts idealize of what you you want your queer relationship to be because I'm like mm, both sets of parents are here and both of them are on board. That's not my reality. So I'm just like good for these fictional characters. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but you you need your mind to go there. You need to see happy things. I don't want to always see us oppressed and yeah. and rejected. So um, although there were a lot of parts of the play where the parents didn't understand or they say the wrong things and their ignorance shows just but like just just blind they just didn't they don't know that they're saying things that are not correct and they're offending their daughters left and right um mm -hmm. that that is real um so mm -hmm. that needed to be showcased carmen did a great job of writing that in um so you felt you, you really identified with each character you're like oh I don't hate them for doing that or saying that. Oh yeah, they're right. Or that's that's how where they that's how they grew up and this is a teaching moment. So mm -hmm. it was yeah, it was a it was a really nice play. Yeah, I was bummed to miss it, but I think Carmen's gonna send it to me so I can watch it. Yeah, yeah, it was recorded. It was yeah. recorded. Um, um and to clarify, they said you were a lead, not a star. So I <laughs> I dubbed you the star, they said you were a lead. <laughs> so yes. I, I was, I'll take, I'll take lead. Definitely not star. Gosh. Mm -mm. Well, I'll watch it and I'll get back to you on whether <laughs> you were <a> star. <laughs> um, so you do lots of different kinds of acting. So you're in plays. Um, I saw that you were in a play called The Bigot, which was off Broadway. What was that about? Yes. So it was kind of like um, Archie Bunker. I don't know if you know that. Remember that show from a long time And that ago? name sounds very familiar, but I don't know if I really it, Well, we were babies. No, I think it was even before we were babies. Um, but um, I remember seeing episodes on of it when I was little. And it was just like a family sitcom. It was a white family. Archie Bunker was the lead. And he was problematic and like racist. But like, it was like, of the time, so it was still kind of funny. <laughs> like, mm. I think their neighbors were black, and like he would always make comments, and it was he was hateful but like lovable. It, yeah, so it was it was like a it's complicated. <laughs> you know, it was so it was like an Archie Bunker like two point That's like what one of the reviews said. Oh, okay, um, and it was um, I was also in a lesbian couple. Everyone just wants me to be my cast, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, it's great. Which That's is actually cool. great for me because I talk about um, feminine visibility all the time. Yeah. Not that I didn't really identify as femme, but like people are like, oh, you're a model and, the, you know, makeup on your face or whatever. Like, oh, then you're femme. It's like, no, like, if I have lipstick on, it's because of work, probably. Like, <laughs> not in real life. But um, anyway, yes. So uh, the bigot is about a lesbian couple that moves next door to um, an old man. And the old man is sick. He's like liver failure. So the old man's son comes and helps him out and things. And so the son is millennial and cool and open and whatever. And then he runs into the lesbians because they're across the hall. And then they build a bond. Um, my my fiance in the play builds a bond with, with the son, Seth was his name. And then 
my fiance is like a nurse. So Seth was like, you're a nurse? Oh, my dad is going through this thing. Like, if you could mm. check on him, that'd be great. Like, it's just like, she was like, okay, I love old people. So she'd go over there, but he like, he is super hateful. He's just like, oh, you're one of the lesbians from across the hall. So it's like, there's a lot of conflict. And then there's actually comedy in there too, because of course, some of the things old, old white men say, can be funny even though they're problematic so it was written in a way that it was funny and then like an eye roll type thing not like <laughs> die blah so anyway um it's just a whole, it was a whole back and forth and it's um the way it was done like the tech of it all was the the two apartments were right next to each other and so it's like lights on lights off and it was just like very mm. running back and forth to each apartment and like then some drama and then like me and my fiance fighting over like don't go over there like he hates us it's like oh but I have to help him whatever and then at the end it was all about like love and like we're all the same blah 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 like yeah happy ending but uh, <laughs> it's, it's still low-key problematic because I'm just like mm. it felt like a white savior movie mm, okay. <laughs> we talked about this though like the writer knows everybody knows I was like guys like I was the only black person in the entire cast mm. and I like low-key saved the day and I'm like okay but because the sun explained everything to everyone. So it was kind of mansplained and white savior. Good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Well, I feel like that even too, like I wonder if, if someone whose mind is, was partially closed in seeing this play, maybe that got through to them. Like just seeing seeing scenarios played out and the effects of those things. I think those, those are those powerful moments. Yes, I heard people gasp. Um, people definitely cried. People laughed. And then when we go out into the lobby um, at the end of the show, people were saying it was like illuminating. And mm. I used to be—I I, I wouldn't call it a snob, but I used to be like these these things are so obvious. Like, why do you need to be taught this or whatever? But that's ignorant on my part. Some people really do need to be taught basic things or like the fact that we have to tell people that gay couples are people too is beyond me, but like yeah, people need to see it and they need to relate to it somehow. And the art does serve to do that. And that play did serve to do that. And some people might like very well may have identified as the bigot when they sat down in their seat. Mm-hmm. And then when they left, Polly was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. the work. That's, that's mm-hmm. it. That's yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Storytelling is cool. <laughs> Just like, Oh yeah. This is great. Um, so another form of storytelling is you are an actor in commercials and I was going, I was like keeping your website <laughs> and um, I saw one, a Motorola commercial and I was like, what is this commercial getting at? Because like, it was like really great in the beginning of like folks sharing their names and um, like the, where they got their names from or what they mean to them. And then it was like, you can name your phone. <laughs> I <like> know. <laughs> I know. And they went all around the world for that too. Yeah. It's like, wow. Um, I, I like the, the premise of showing different people. I like the diversity yeah. of it. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. I wondered, I was wondering if like, I guess there wasn't really a question, just an observation, but um, did Motorola do any kind of like advocacy behind that? Or was it just like showcasing different people from around the world to promote this new feature of their 
phone. I think you know the answer to that. I know, but I just wanted to be sure. I never want to assume. <laughs> Nobody does anything unless they're forced to. At like gunpoint at this yeah. point. Like, no. Like, no. They ain't do nothing. That was not part of anything. Everything's about money. Mm-hmm. We know this. And I, um, I, I'm conflicted when it comes to these things, especially commercials. Commercials are great. Commercials pay well. Um, most, I, I can't say most, but I feel like a lot of actors will do commercials so that you can get your residuals so that you're, you're good money wise to pursue other things, whether it's a passion project or a, a short run of a play. Um, but at the end of the day, commercials are just marketing and marketing is just consumerism. And like, you know, a lot of it can be very problematic. So I'll show up on set for something. <laughs> Luckily, you know what it is, you know, you know, the copy, you know, the words you have to say, you know, the premise, you see a storyboard, like before you even go to the audition. So problematic things that like you can easily avoid if you're like, oh no, like, mm-hmm. um, but even things like McDonald's, how they market it to uh, brown people, low income people, but they just use like actual like models who would never take an actual bite out of that burger. Mm-hmm. And, like, and like, cause I remember I did something for Subway, um, and I was pescatarian, I'm pescatarian now, but like the sandwich I had to bite into repeatedly at different angles mm. um, was ham. But guess what? Spit buckets all day, every day is the oh, norm. So it's like, great, I don't have to chew and like swallow this ham, but um, it, I'm just saying there's just like, there's something false about all commercials, like never believe any of this stuff. All the happy-go-lucky people in McDonald's probably don't eat McDonald's and they go get their green juice right after the shoot. So mm-hmm. there's, I think there's something insidious there. Like, just, no, show, show the real people who eat McDonald's day to day. Like we've all seen Super Size Me. So mm-hmm. yeah, so there, there's problematic things in, in commercials and yeah, so that's a long way to say. Do not think there's any advocacy <laughs> behind Motorola going around the world and interviewing people from different backgrounds. No, I could be wrong. Don't quote me, but they did not tell me that there, there was anything like that. Yeah. I, you know, you bring up, it's such an interesting thing to think about of like the, all of the ways that commercials are problematic. And then I'm thinking about some, it just all feels so conflicting of like, sometimes when I see commercials that feature queer people, I get so excited. It's like, oh my gosh, representation. And then it's like, are they being compensated fairly? Are they being like exploited? Like, and then I also, then that's why I think about Pride Month too. And I think it's a little bit less now because there are no like physical storefronts, but the ways in which the, the queer community are exploited boggle and blow my mind. And I, I have trouble like, reconciling with that too because like for like an example i converse i don't know if you know but you can like create your own pride shoe and it's really cool and from as far as i know none of the proceeds go to anything other than converse so it's like i dropped a hundred dollars on these like awesome trans pride sneakers but like converse is just profiting off of that versus like and when I wear those shoes, I get like knowing looks from kids. I get love, like knowing looks from adults. I even, um, bef- we had a, um, a guest come on who told me that she liked my shoes on the subway. And I was like, thanks. And then she went away. And then it ended up that she was on the podcast. She was like, I don't think you remember this, but I'm, I told you, I li-. and I was like, 
I remember <laughs> it now because I didn't, I just didn't put two and two together. But wow. so yeah. it's like, even though like, it's so problematic that they're making money off of queer identities, it's still helping build community and connection. So it, I don't know. I have trouble with that. Yeah, there's a fine line for everything. Because I mean, like, look at black culture. That's exploited and used for sales all day, every day. But like, yeah, the black community is still stuff suffering. Yeah, but corporations are making bank off of the whole culture. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you draw that line. I know it's tough. Um, and like, also thinking about the like two sides of the fence and and trying to like get through to people who just don't understand and thinking of like the black lives matter movement. And it's like how, like really wanting to articulate to people how important it is to be anti-racist and like having those like really hard conversations, but it's like, and it also goes back to, to what I was saying about uh, talking about with Carmen, it's like, how do you find that in? Like, how do you, if someone doesn't want to hear it, they're not going to listen to you, but it's like, it feels so important to find that opening to be like, no, this is what we should be talking about. This is how we move everyone forward. But it's, it's, um, it's a lot of work, important work and has to be done, but it's tough. Yeah. It's an exercise. I think I was, oh my gosh, exhausted by a guy, white man, European, but lived here for like 11, 12 years. Um, I've known him for years but politics, religion, and all that stuff, like, doesn't really come up, you know, those controversial topics, but, like, now, everyone talks about everything now. I was so flabbergasted to learn his point of view was slavery was a long time ago, Black people are overreacting, it's, uh, individualism is what matters, like, system, systemic racism is not a thing. I was, like, I almost fell out. I was, like, are you serious? And then he'll just talk about the few uh black people he knows he's like they're fine he's like you're fine and i was like do you know anything about the history of this country because this is a white person from eastern europe Mm -hmm. so i'm just like what are you talking about like just just based in nothing so i'm like if you're gonna make bold statements but you don't even know what jim crow is i said you know jim crow laws are he's like no cool so Mm -hmm. so i'm just i like you you have to be well versed if you're going to throw out some crazy stuff that is literally against an entire movement. So I'm like, do you think all these people are like lying? Do you think people <laughs> right. are making up their struggles? Do you think everyone has had a fair treatment at work? You know what I mean? So it's just like, I just, sometimes you just don't have the capacity and it's yeah. like, to, to educate. I'm just like, oh, oh. I, so I just saw that as a lost cause. Mm-hmm. And the icing on the cake was that person recently told me, oh, I think I'm going to leave LA and go back to Europe. I was going to choose between London and Vienna. And my dad said, if I choose Vienna, he'll buy me an apartment. So I was just like, okay, so you you really don't see your privilege and your generational wealth. And you're saying black people need to get over it. It just, it was just glaring contradictions. Mm -hmm. And he didn't even see it. So I'm like, where do you start with someone like that? Yeah. It's just so far gone. And it's like, you don't even have anyone that's not like you, like in your tight circle. So, so that's why it's exhausting. So when like, that's just one person who's not even hateful, Mm -hmm. but so problematic in thought that it's exhausting and draining. And that's why everyone is saying, 
leave your black friends alone. Like it's not their job to teach you all this stuff. Like Google it. Yeah. And figure it out. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's such a, it just is highlighting all like, so like the work that has to be done of like, we need to be educating everybody more than just like a few things about like the history of black folks in this country. And like, I watched, I recently watched 13th on Netflix and it's so clear and so easy to not, I keep saying easy, but it's not easy to watch, but it's, once you've watched it, it, there's like, it's a very, um, it's just a clear path of like what, what, how things are and why things are. And so I think every person needs to watch it. And, and like, I don't know, I just, I'm getting like flustered a little bit because there's so much to do and wanting to do it all now. And it's like, I have to remind myself too, that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And like, Mm -hmm. we have to like, because so many people are like the person you were just talking about, where they just don't even see that it's a thing that has to change. And so it's like, that's the first, to me, what I think is like, that's the first thing is like really getting through to people. Like this is something that has to change and then helping bring people to this, up to this anti-racist work. And it's, it's similar to when I'm doing my work and with LGBTQ inclusion, like our whole thing at my organization is we have to meet people where they are, or they're not going to want to come along with us on this journey. And it's, and it's, and in doing that, it gets really frustrating because it's like, why aren't you here yet? Where have you been? You've had your head up your butt of privilege is where you've been. And it's for like, what do you do when it's people who just have no connection to any marginalized communities? Like, and they're from the middle of nowhere, America, where everybody's white and everyone is seemingly straight and they have no personal connection. Therefore, they don't feel anything. And like, that just sucks that a lot of the people who, who come around happen to, if they're, say, cis white male, and then they end up with a brown woman and have a brown child, and then something happened to the brown child, now they get it. Right. But we can't, we can't blend every family and have them be personally affected by the oppression and have that be all the change. So I'm just like, like, how do you get into the brain of someone who they're like, that's not my business. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with me. Yeah. That's the question. That is the question. I don't know. I wish I had any, (laughs) if I had the answer, (laughs) but yeah, it's a big question. Um, I also, so I also noticed on your website, um, highway to high school that you volunteer with this organization. Um, tell us about that. Yeah. So I actually met one of the founders, uh, Janine, um, when I was at UCB. So I did improv for a little and I overheard Janine talking about how she needed tutors, more tutors for her program. And I was just like, I'm looking for something to do, like to give back and like, I'm a nerd with math. Like I got up to calculus two straight A's and I didn't even need it. So, but I'm just like, Oh, I need more credits and let me just stay with math. Cause I just like math is universal. There's an answer. You can plug the answer back into the top and it's like, you know, it's right. So that's like, mm-hmm. so like satisfying to me. Totally. But anyway, so I was just like, tutor what? So she told me all about it. Um, so New York school systems are so crazy where you have to take the specialized high school test SHSATs to get into a good high school. 
Like, so the same way we take the SATs to go into a, a college, I'm like, are you serious? You're making this, these babies, like, they're like 12 and 13 and have to like take a long standardized test to get into one of the good schools, like LaGuardia, Bronx Science, like all the, the famous big ones. And so the program exists because most of the good schools are rich and white and doesn't reflect the diversity of New York City whatsoever, but mm-hmm. the low income um, and or the brown kids um, don't have resources for like Kaplan and like just the, those prep, the prep courses. So um, the, it's volunteer tutors who are all college grads who are just like, yes, I will teach these kids. And I, I talked about this in one of my like standups, how I like tutored this kid because um, I was the only black tutor. And that kind of made me mad too. Cause I'm like, yeah. you guys are tutoring a bunch of brown people, but then everyone's white. So it, ma- it makes them subconsciously be like, oh, like you have to be white to be like smart and be on that side of the table. Like, hell no. So I showed up to every single session with my Yukon hoodie. I'm like, yo, y'all can get into Yukon if you want. My <laughs> hair as big as day. I'm just like, you can be black as fuck and still smart as fuck, okay? And like, let's, let's go ahead and do these problems real quick. Like, it's like, oh, I was just so passionate about that. So we did it for a couple of years. Um, it was, they were doing their nonprofit licensing and then I don't know what happened, but they got the board together. Then they started tutor time. What is that? then they started another tutoring thing so it's i'm on pause right now as far as tutoring Mm -hmm. uh, because they're changing up their structure but i'm so glad my nosy self was overhearing janine talk about needing tutors and that was so great and to that extent i started reaching out to um some new york organizations i have a friend who's a brooklyn principal and because i want to teach i want to blend my love of like math and tutoring with financial information because I feel like in order to change a lot of the landscape of stuff black people specifically need to build wealth and they don't teach anything about money in schools so Mm -hmm. I'm just like instead of me tutoring for like a really dumb standardized test that's should be you know and should be gone like to standardize tests are racist and dumb anyway we need to teach the kids about money. So even if you don't go to college and you make the $15 an hour, that's the minimum now in New York, you need to learn how to build wealth. You need to know what a high yield savings is. You need to know uh, what a budget is. You need to know like a net worth calculation. And so that's what I'm passionate about. Like I want to teach all the brown babies how to secure themselves, Mm -hmm. college or not. And then we can make actual change. We need to own stuff. We need wealth. So I know I went off on a tangent, but I'm really passionate about that. And yeah, that's okay. My platform, like if sometimes people like fantasize about fame, I feel like if I had a large platform, it would be to educate the brown babies. So especially, yeah. specifically about money. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'll help you with that. And by that, I mean, you're on my podcast and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to do platform things, but if I ever, I ever know how. I don't know. I'm weird. Okay. So, um, I don't want to do this, but I have to move us into our last segment, which is rapid fire questions. Um, they're, they're pretty, they're just silly. There's no right or wrong answers except one. You'll know when it happens and it's all just for fun and games. Okay. Pencil or pen? Pen. Acting or singing? Acting. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Meat or veggies? veggies bagels or donuts bagels that's the one good job uh, <laughs> train or plane plane sweet or salty 
Salty. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Night or day? Night. Favorite kitchen item? Oh, coffee maker. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here with us today. This was a really lovely conversation. Yes, I'm glad we're able to make it happen. Mutually, but it yeah. happened. Yeah, and we could do a part two when we're able to be in the same space again. I know. Yes, and hopefully when there's like actual projects that are happening like in real life and like we could talk about all our things on the street and face to face with people. Yeah. One day, hopefully soon, but probably not, but maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you for coming out. Thank you. Thank you for coming out. Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You for Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.